Good day, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to tell you today about the real conspiracy of the Second Vatican Council, the hidden conspiracy that no one ever talks about, but I think it's really important for understanding what happened. Stay with me because I'm going to play this idea out and uh, I hope it makes a lot of sense. First, though, I got to say thank you to our sponsor for this video, Queen of Victory Rosaries. Christmas is officially 11 days away. You still have time to get a present for that special someone, rosaries, etc. Here is Queen of Victory shop. You can find the link for this in the description to this video. You have numerous examples or numerous, uh, yeah, numerous examples or selections of different types, themed rosaries, custom rosaries. Look at this, even a wedding gift set. How beautiful is this? A newlywed getting, getting married and you're going to have this beautiful custom-made set of rosaries. I think this is really special. I have a queen. I have two Queen of Victory rosaries. Um, I think they're wonderful. This is just one example of what you can get. You can actually reach out to the lady who runs this store through the Etsy shop if you don't want to shop that way, and you can do it sort of a more old school way. But either way, just contact her through this link. Uh, anything that you know is ruined by general wear and tear, she'll fix it for you over the regular regular use. Don't use it to hitch your car out of a ditch or something like that. Not going to fix that, but you can you know get it fixed. And um, thank you to Queen of Victory Rosaries. Use the coupon code Kennedy. Last thing before we get started here on the video, Canadian Martyrs Men's Conference. Big news. We have one more priest booked for this as well. So Father Rion, Father Stannis, myself and Tim Flanders giving talks. Um, the majority will be from the priests, of course. Confessions available all day. Uh, you can look at the itinerary and the link that you can find in the description box for this podcast. And the night before, we've changed the venue. This filled up. This 40-person room we got at this local pub filled up really quickly. So now we got a new space. I think we can hold something like 80 to 100. That's going to fill up soon for the people coming in the night before. So make sure you get your tickets soon. Go to the link in the description to this video to sort that out. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So what is the true conspiracy of the Second Vatican Council? Let's get into it. So let's go back a little bit. There's this idea that the true Vatican II was never implemented. You've probably heard this. The council was great. It was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Pope Paul VI said it was more important than Nicaea. You can actually look that up in my book, SSPX, The Defense. Shameless plug, that book is available as well for purchase. Click the link in the description. Paul VI, who oversees the council after John XXIII dies, he says that Vatican II is the greatest thing ever. Think about that for a second. The council that he's referring to, the Council of Nicaea, this council is where Arianism, which was at the heart of the greatest crisis in the church before our era, before the era of modernism, he's saying that Vatican II is a bigger deal than that council. There's some implications to that. There were no anathemas at the Second Vatican Council. No doctrines were defined as per the admissions of the popes who oversaw the thing. We're not really sure what in it is of what level of binding infallibility. We have no idea. I mean, you can kind of spend years reading a bunch of books and get a decent idea of it, but it's not clear. And ever since this council, we've seen a general decline that has increased rapidly in the life of the church. We don't see that in the past with councils like Nicaea. We don't see that in the past with councils like Trent. But apparently, according to Pope Paul VI, the Second Vatican Council is the greatest thing since sliced bread. Okay, fair enough. But it was only him who said that, was it? 
You can look up a letter in a book called Archbishop Lefebvre in the Vatican, and it's a letter in correspondence with John Paul II, who we call St. John Paul the Great, who apparently also wasn't able to implement the council, even though he was the great, but anyway. And in that, John Paul II, he's very clear that the Second Vatican Council was the greatest thing that ever happened, and he said it was guided by the Spirit of Truth, capital S Spirit, capital T Truth, the Holy Ghost guided the whole thing. Now, there are a lot of ambiguities in the Second Vatican Council, which is admitted by the actual authors of the documents themselves. You can look that up in various writings on this stuff. I'd recommend a book by, uh, it's from Angelus Press called 100 Years of Modernism. Another one is called, um, I think it's called Pope John's Council by Michael Davies. Many others as well. Uh, Prometheus put out by Angelus Press. All these books show that the actual theologians from the council were very clear that it was ambiguous on, on purpose, but that's fine. Let's not take their word for it. Let's take the Pope's word for it. The Spirit of Truth, the Holy Ghost guides a council. Apparently, the Holy Ghost is okay with ambiguity. Let's leave that aside for a second. And Pope Paul VI says it's the, the greatest thing since Nicaea, maybe even greater. So what happened after the council? Because if that's the case, then the council is a really big deal. If the council is a really big deal, then it's a pretty powerful thing. And if it's a pretty powerful thing, it should probably have been implemented. I mean, Council of Trent was pretty cool. Seems like it worked. Nicaea was pretty good. Seems like it worked too. Lateran Four was a pretty big deal. That was pretty good. I mean, you know, obviously there are things that can happen, but if we look back at the life of the church at these big deal councils, it seems to me that what's actually in those councils actually happens in the church after. But not with Vatican II. You see, According to the Vatican II fanboys, the hermeneutic of continuity crowd, the, you know, word on fire crowd, the Catholic answers crowd, the sort of, let's call them the Vatican II bros. According to the Vatican II bros, now these guys are the best, remember this. They're not extreme like traditionalists, they're not liberals like the James Martins, they're just Goldilocks, they're not too hot, they're not too cold, they're right in the middle. They're the golden mean, baby. These guys are the best and they know the truth of the Second Vatican Council. They can save the council from the abuses, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and they know that the real Vatican II never happened. They'll say things like, we had a false spirit of the council. Pope Benedict said, and he was a major mover and shaker at the council, we had, um, you know, a council of the media. But the real council, though that is something entirely different. The real council is really, really good. But the problem is, it's just never really been implemented. So think of the consequences of that. Greatest council since Nicaea, maybe even greater, guided by the Holy Ghost, every jot and tittle, according to John Paul II. But for some reason, the two popes who one oversaw it, then his successor after a short 30-day pontificate by John Paul I, John Paul II, both canonized. Both of them brought to the altars of the church. One called the Great, like St. Gregory the Great. Even under those amazing canonized popes, somehow they just couldn't get the council implemented. Now you have to ask yourself, why? I mean, if Pope Paul VI is St. Pope Paul VI, or Pope St. Paul VI, 
If John Paul II is Pope St. John Paul the Great, then why couldn't they get the council implemented? Well, here's what the Pope Splainer Vatican II fanboys will tell you. This is what they'll say. They'll say, basically, the council was really, really great. Greatest council since Nicaea, guided by the spirit of truth. But the problem is, is that it just wasn't received by the church. And sadly, there were so many liberal bishops in the church who were basically not getting in line and they just didn't really do what the Pope wanted. And if they just did what St. John Paul the Greatest did, if they just did what Pope St. Paul VI asked of them, then everything would be fine. Well, here's the problem with that. If that's true, then that actually validates the traditionalist critique of the council. And I'll explain what I mean by that. You see, this book here, I've talked about it before. I accused the council by Archbishop Lefebvre. In that book, Archbishop Lefebvre shows that the major interventions from what were called conservatives, then now we call them traditionalists, but at that time it was liberals and conservatives. The conservatives were Lefebvre and the other priests and bishops, or bishops, I guess, who were part of the international group of fathers, the um, Cetus Internationalis Patrum. They appealed to the Pope and they basically said, listen, Holy Father, if we follow through with this schema on the church, which became Lumen Gentium, if we follow through with this, then the actual power of the Pope will be neutered because of this erroneous understanding of the College of Bishops, which they called collegiality, kind of like synodality. It didn't really exist as a word until the liberals made it up, and then all of a sudden, it's the way the church operates. History repeats itself, or at, le at least it rhymes, as Mark Twain said. And they said, Holy Father, we're worried that if we go through with this schema on the church, this constitution on the church, if we go through with this, then the Pope will be made ineffectual because the consequences will be that he can't really make the bishops do anything because what will happen will be this inflated power of the conferences of bishops. The College of Bishops will be seen almost like two wings of the same bird with the Pope on one side and the College of Bishops on the other. And then therefore, the Pope will be made essentially powerless in the church. Now, ironically, this traditionalist critique of the spirit of Lumen Gentium, this matches what the Vatican II bros say about what has happened since the council. You see, the traditionalists were saying, and they were called conservatives at the time, but the traditionalists, what we'd call them today, they were saying that if we follow through with these novelties, then we're going to have a thing, we're going to have a position, a, a situation in the church where the Pope will be ineffectual. And the conservatives of our day, which we would call neoconservatives or moderates or something compared to the conservatives at the time of the council, they're saying the exact same thing. They're just not recognizing the problem. They're saying that the council was amazing, but the bishops of the world just haven't done what they were told. Now, this is a very interesting thing because they're validating what the traditionalists' critique was of the Second Vatican Council, but they won't allow themselves to admit that the traditionalists are correct about the council, 
yet they point to the same problem in the church as being the reason why the council wasn't implemented, which the traditionalists said would happen because of the council. See the problem there? Now, the problem is it gets deeper than that because the conservatives of our day, the Vatican II bros, they're not going to admit this whole idea that the, the council in and of itself actually at least implicitly gave a spirit of erroneous understanding of the ecclesiology of the church. They won't, they won't even really allow that. So they have to look to something else. They have to say to themselves, no, Lumen Gentium didn't do anything to hinder the power of the Pope. No, the traditionalists were not correct about Lumen Gentium. But yes, everything that the traditionalists said would happen did happen, but not for the reasons they said, and not because the Pope was ineffectual, because those popes were canonized. So if they're canonized, they're probably pretty good. That's how canonizations usually work. So what will they say now? Well, this is where the deep conspiracy comes in. Because maybe you've read the book Infiltration by Taylor Marshall. Now, Infiltration is great. Um, you've probably read it. If you haven't, I, I, I recommend you do. It's, it's a really good book for lay readers by Taylor Marshall. And it just sort of gives you the crisis in the church 101 from sort of the 1800s to now. But the thing is, the Vatican II bros think Taylor Marshall is a crackpot conspiracy theorist. They think he's crazy. They think there's no way that the church was uh, infiltrated to that degree. They think there's no way that you can say the Second Vatican Council imbibed a spirit of modernism in the church for a lot of reasons. They say that it's just beyond the pale. But the problem is, now they're left with this issue where they admit that all of the consequences the traditionalists prophesied came true, but it has nothing to do with their critique. So what's it from? Well, remember, in the mind of the Vatican II, bro, Lumen Gentium was the bee's knees, Second Vatican Council was the best thing ever, St. John Paul the Greatest, and Pope Paul VI is a saint as well. And there's nothing wrong with the new mass, by the way. So what are they going to do? Well, let's think. The implications of their idea is that since the popes were really great, since the council was really great, there must have been some sort of rebellion of the bishops since the council. I mean, who else would it be? Is it your fault that we're in a crisis in the church? Are you in charge of the church? No. It doesn't matter how much harder you Vatican II. It doesn't matter how many more times you do a podcast or a, write an article saying the Second Vatican Council was great as a layperson. You can't actually make the council stick. So it has to be somebody. And considering the bishops are the prince of the church, princes of the church, well, it's got to be them. But what does that mean? Well, that means that somehow the bishops of the world conspired to ignore the council. What does that sound like? It sounds kind of like a conspiracy theory. You see, at least when Taylor Marshall puts together his critique, you know, or his, his analysis, let's call it, of the crisis, he's very clear, pointing to this and that, and this piece of evidence, Freemasons, infiltration, modernists, whatever, St. Colin Mafia, all these things. And he's saying, look, here's a pretty good presentation. And he's not the only one. Dietrich von Hildebrand uh, did similar things. Dr. Kwasniewski's talked about this. Michael Davies, you know, Archbishop Lefebvre. I mean, many of these great heroes of the church, they've all given us reasons to understand what really happened. Okay, fine. But the Vatican II bros reject that. But then they have to posit their own conspiracy that took place essentially after the council ended. But where is the evidence for this? 
Their, their idea is that somehow these popes were literally worthy of being canonized. First pope canonized in almost 500 years was Pius X. And then after that, every pope since the council, John XXIII, Paul VI, John Paul I is beatified now, I think. Is he, I don't know if he's actually canonized yet. I think he's just beatified. And John Paul II, they're all saints, yet none of them could actually implement the council. But it's not their fault, and it's not the council's fault. So it must be the bishop's fault, which means the bishops must have conspired to stop the council from being implemented. The ironic thing is, is that the Vatican II bros, for their theory to work, they basically believe that Taylor Marshall and people like myself are crackpot conspiracy theorists, the Alex Joneses of Catholicism, no matter the fact that we point to the works of men like Leo XIII and Pope St. Pius X and show that they actually say the church has been infiltrated and the enemy is within, but that's neither here nor there. But we're wrong, and they're right. And the real conspiracy takes place since the Second Vatican Council, and it's a conspiracy of all the bishops in the world somehow conspired to not implement the council. Now, here's the thing. That's a more ridiculous conspiracy theory than anything you can throw at Taylor Marshall or myself or Michael Davies or Von Hildebrand or whatever. Because this conspiracy has no evidence. Because in fact, as I said, what happened was the traditionalists said that if the council goes through with this ambiguity, that what would follow is exactly what we see. But somehow the traditionalists were wrong and the Vatican II bros have to point to some evidenceless, unnamed conspiracy where the Pope is a saint, all of them are saints. I know they're going to push for the canonization of Benedict XVI, watch. And really, if they just did what the Pope said, everything would be fine. Well, what does that say about the Pope? These men who they call saints weren't actually able to implement the council that they oversaw, yet somehow they're saints. You see the logic of this? If you follow this Vatican II, posi this Vatican II bro position, you get to the point where you have to believe many contradictory things at once. You have to believe the traditionalists were wrong, but you have to believe that what the traditionalists said would happen, happened. You have to believe that Vatican II was great, but you have to believe that the popes who were canonized, who were there or oversaw the thing, weren't able to implement it. And you have to believe that there was no effect on the church from Lumen Gentium and the College of Bishops' collegiality error. Yet somehow, all the effects of collegiality have taken place. And you have nothing to point to except for those things. So then you have to find yourself in a position where you have to start making things up. There was a true spirit of the council. That true spirit has never been implemented. Well, it takes 50 years or 60 years or 70 years. It just hasn't been done right yet. Well, at that point, quite frankly, you kind of start sounding like a communist. Because that's what communists say. They'll say, well, Stalin wasn't a real communist. Well, Mao's not a real communist. Well, Che Guevara wasn't a real communist. Well, Fidel wasn't a real communist. Well, Pol Pot wasn't a real communist. Justin Trudeau is not a real communist. And real communism is good. And if the leaders of the countries could just implement real communism and the people could just get in line, then we'd have paradise on earth. If the popes could just be listened to and they could just implement the real spirit of the council and their princes of the church and the faithful could just get in line and get on board with the real spirit of the council, then we'll finally have 
peace on earth and renewal in the church. But don't worry. It hasn't happened in 60 years. Just give it 60 more. In fact, they almost sound like the global warming people, don't they? The world was supposed to be, I mean, what did Al Gore say in 2013 in uh, Inconvenient Truth? Something like, uh, he said by 2013 or something. I guess it was 2007. He said something like by 2013, I think it was like Miami was going to be underwater. Something crazy like that. I remember watching that documentary in 2015 for the first time. And I said to myself, this is literally two years after he said it'd be covered in water. Yet people are still in Miami. Okay. Okay. So then the global warming people will say, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't expect our predictions to be correct all the time, even though you should let us change all the policy in your countries. But it's actually going to take longer than that. So if we don't get on board with global warming hysteria now, then in 2023, we're going to see major changes. Ah, well, hold on. It's 2023, and there's still polar bears. Okay, not 2023, 2030. That's the time. You see where I'm going with this? This is the exact same mentality as the Second Vatican Council fanboys. True communism has never been tried. True Vatican II has never been tried. True global warming stuff hasn't been tried. Just give it more time, and eventually you'll see it take place. This is a major problem. And this is something that is a huge blind spot for this conversation about Vatican II. You see, the reason why we've had the problems in the church since the council is not because the true Vatican, the true Second Vatican Council hasn't been applied. The reason is because the true Second Vatican Council has been applied. This is something that the Vatican II fanboys are going to have to come to terms with because at a certain point, my friends, no one's going to continue to take you seriously. How many more books and articles and podcasts and renewal, whatever, how many more things are you going to have to do before? Is it going to take 70 years? It's 10 years. It's 60 years since Sacrosanctum Concilium, the document on liturgy. And the new mass is a disaster. Is it going to take 70 years? Is it going to take 80 years? Is it going to take 90 years? Did it take 70 years for the Council of Trent? You might say to yourself, well, hold on. After the Council of Trent, it wasn't like they flipped a switch and it was immediate. Of course. But the goodness of the Council and the reforms did start to take place very quickly. Yes, Arianism did not go away immediately after the Council where it was condemned. But it was condemned. And then very quickly, you now had the official Arian heretics who were not in the Catholic Church. And there was a line of delineation, which was very clear. It happened right away. The goodness takes time to flourish, but the goodness started to flourish immediately. The council that happened in the 60s, the Second Vatican Council, was the complete opposite. There was no renewal directly after. Pope Paul VI said that the church was going through a form of auto-demolition, auto-destruction, destroying itself. People left it, you know, you know the story. But somehow... We're supposed to believe that the Second Vatican Council was great. The Pope's power was not affected in any way. Collegiality is not a problem. The new mass is great. And the traditionalists were wrong. That, my friends, is an even greater conspiracy than anything that Taylor Marshall or Malachi Martin or Michael Davies or Von Hildebrand could ever come up with. That is a conspiracy based in a land of fantasy. 
That is a conspiracy based in a land of things that have never been proved. That is a conspiracy based in this strange, communist, climate change hysteria-inspired belief that everyone is wrong about the true spirit except for me. And if they all just did what I think, then everything would turn out great. That's the real conspiracy about Vatican II, and it's something that they're going to have to come to terms with because the shtick is just getting old, my friends. As always, let me know what you think in the comments. This has been the Kennedy Report. Until next time, God bless.